Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. Normally, The Between is a game about monster hunters in Victorian London. Ghosts of El Paso is a old West American version about a group of ghost hunters, the Vigilance Committee. In the township of El Paso, Texas, the Vigilance Committee is dealing with the effects of the Wounded Night, a seasonal phenomenon in El Paso that takes place in the fall every six years, during which time the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is thinned. The hunters learn about various ghostly threats around El Paso and conduct investigations in order to neutralize them. The Vigilance Committee was formed because everyone in El Paso remembers the last season of The Wounded Night, six years ago, and wants to avoid the terrible things that happened then. Over time, they become aware of the plans of a criminal mastermind who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. That is the general play structure of the game, uh, day, dusk, night, dawn. You play through those until all of your threats are resolved, and that's the game. I'm going to be playing the Marshall playbook. Marshall Jefferson Stockley, the duly appointed lawman of this town. He wears the old Marshall's tanned leather vest. He has a well-oiled mustache, and he wears a shoulder holster. His vice is hot baths. His vice is hot baths? Hot baths. Oh my gosh, you're just the witcher over here. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh, my character is going to be the Lost. He is your friend, neighbor, and pastor, Brother Gideon Lovelace. He's a tall man, and he dresses for the weather. He's got a nice seersucker suit. He pairs that with a nice straw boater hat and a pair of what we would call today sunglasses to try and cut down on the bright El Paso sun and to cut down on El Paso's other less obvious pains and downsides he's got his vice a handy hip flask always filled with something to help take the edge off someone with more faith than you currently houses you as their form of offering to the church so they're always one holy step ahead of him and it fair drives him crazy we have angel mccoy playbook is the bootstrapper so she owns the saloon yeah She has straight black hair that hangs to her shoulders, Mm -hmm. electric green eyes, and a lapel pin of a broken heart with an onyx tip. Vice is sharpening knives. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a piece regarding the saloon's name. Oh, yeah. Let's get that now, too. The Golden Sun Cup. My name is uh, Lorelai Chambers. Mm-hmm. My look, uh, I have a black sun hat, a simple white blouse with kind of like poofy sleeves, a maroon ankle length skirt that puffs out a little bit, and black leather gloves that she pretty much always wears. Mm-hmm. My playbook is The Inevitable. You are the physical manifestation of the only certainty in this world. You know who and what you are, but you do not know why you are here in this weak mortal form. So you death. I am death. The playbook move that I always have is death incarnate. You have a condition that can never be cleared. Death touch. Any side characters that make contact with your bare skin will die right now or later today, unless you actively try to prevent their death. She's okay. a school teacher. You're right. You're going to tell me Miss Frizzle wasn't death incarnate. No, that's fair. That's, that's a fair. really good point.
At the end of summer, when the season's run of long days just starts to wane, the harsh sun rages in that dying light, scorching the earth of old El Paso. The fall of night would be a comfort for those who call the land home, were it not for the fresh dangers that darkness brings. It's been six long years since the last season of the wounded night, the moon red as a bullet hole in the sky, the border between life and death as thin as a razor's edge. It's been six years since the tragedy of the last wounded night, and the town is different this time, prepared. Or so the town's vigilance committee would like to think. Tonight, the dead will stir, ghosts will rise, and others, dark, calculating, will wait in the shadows and watch. You're listening to How the West Was Won, book on tape. <laughs> narrated by sam elliott um but let's let's talk for a minute so in our play structure uh we're going to start with our day i'm going to present a new threat uh we're going to do regular scenes in, in the daytime daytime before we get to that i ask each of you to take a look at your playbooks and you need to select your dawn questions for this day so these are going to be the questions that should you answer yes to them by the end of the day, uh, by the following dawn, then you will get experience for having accomplished those. These are essentially your little side objectives that you get to pick each day. Um, and you need to choose two of them. And since we are playing three days worth, probably, of Ghosts of El Paso, it is very likely that one of you or more of you could level up. Um, so we've lo- we've. We've trained him now. He knows. He knows <laughs> better than very that no one will self-aware. level up. You only need six experience to get there, and you you can get a maximum of five per day. Jesus. Um. So it's unlikely we'll move at that pace, though, because that that would mean you would be resolving a threat every day cycle. To answer that one, yes. But uh, did you answer a question? Did you experience an echo in the night? Are very easy to get every day cycle. So probably, I would say it's it's likely that everyone will level up by the end of the third day but they won't matter at that point so do you want us to uh to tell you what we picked for your dawn questions no i don't i don't i don't need to know i don't care that's fascinating those are for you to do okay yeah it's just okay yeah okay you just pick them they're yours all right that, that's the thing. I don't know what you all are angling to do, so <laughs> you will just go. <laughs> I know what I'm angling to do. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> hope one of us does. Um. Oh. Uh. FYI to the group. Uh. There is a free Janus mask with associated with the the threat I'm going to introduce. Oh, cool. Um. So come time, if you would like to use a mask, you can use uh, the mask of lonesomeness. Um, which is applied to this mystery instead of using one of your own or use one of your own. You guys have plenty. We're doing a one shot. So, <laughs> But what I will say for you, our hunters, as we start to move into our first day cycle, um, the wounded knight 
has already begun. We're a few nights into the Wounded Night. You've been dealing with different appearances of ghosts and other spooky and occult activities already. Um, There hasn't been anything too severe yet, especially considering the previous Wounded Night six years ago was an absolute disaster. This year, you're feeling like the preparations that the town has made in investing this trust in your group, uh, and also just in general with being aware of and like fearful of this event and of this time. Um, so far, there's been like no fatalities yet. Nothing too great has been lost as of yet. It's been a fairly successful beginning to the Wounded Night. With that in mind, before actually getting to the threat and really setting up where we're going to move in our story, after the sort of more relaxed way the Wounded Night has begun so far, what are each of you just like up to around town during the day? We're not going to drop into full scenes from these, but just give me like a a little high-level flavor about your character, about what's going on with them. Pat, I already see you have a face. Do you want to start off for Marshall Jefferson Stockley? I think the Marshall is uh, in the Golden Sun Cup upstairs and is taking a nice hot bath as he loves to do. There's probably some attendant there because it's the Old West helping bathe him. Somebody's got to keep the water hot for you. That's right. Someone's got to keep the water hot. Gotta gotta scrub my back and all that. I'm just taking a nice hot soak. Wait, waving a fly away that's yeah. a little too close to you. Maybe a scrub hot or sweet hot. I, I, I still I still feel dirty back back there between the shoulder blades. They really go at it with the brush. That's the stuff right there. Yeah. So Marshall Jefferson Stockley starts the day. <laughs> Any Marshall should totally naked. Moving around the room. How about Lorelai? Uh, we follow that fly uh, that he that he <laughs> swatted away. Oh, I like this. We're, we're getting cinematic with this shit. Down All right. to the first floor of the Golden Sun Cup again. At the end of the bar, against one of the walls, is a woman with a black sun hat. The fly flies down beneath the brim of the sun hat and lands on her cheek and stays there for a while, as Lorelai pretty much just sits there unmoving but watching the other patrons of the bar the fly finally does alight from there uh, and drift brother Gideon I I guess are you also around the golden sun cup are we are we just following this fly this whole time yeah the fly heads towards the swinging doors and is about to gain precious precious freedom when in strolls brother Gideon uh, seersucker suits straw boater hat in his head and tinted glasses to uh, fight off the El Paso sun. Uh, he disturbs the fly's journey as he heads towards the bar, pulls out his hip flask, says, well, hey, I think it's time I get a little top up. And so he uh, goes to refill his hip flask at the, uh, at the bar and maybe have a drink there as well. Yeah, the fly bounces off you. <laughs> Uh, on its way out the door, gets blocked and brought back into the room, passing it around then to Angel. What's Angel doing? Angel is sitting behind the bar with her foot on the bar, sharpening her knife, watching this fly as it passes 
all the patrons listening, watching, uh, until, of course, Brother Gideon strolls up and she uh, re-sheaths her knife and pours him a pours him a nice drink. Yeah, you nod to Gideon when he comes in. You know what Gideon likes here. And as he takes a seat at the bar, I think he sets down the flask. You fill that first uh, from a tap you had ready and waiting. And then you start mixing his favorite drink. And as you slide it across the bar top to him, that fly, which has been buzzing around, is like midair. Its wings just stop flapping. And it falls dead before it reaches it, but it falls into your drink, Gideon. I think that is a fine end to this scene. So, Marshall Stockley, you're upstairs. Uh, Marshall Jefferson Stockley. <laughs> <laughs> I will not say your whole name hey, every Pat, can time. I, can I have an aside with you over here real quick? Yeah. Here, huddle in, huddle yeah. in. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, I know that you enjoy saying it, but if you make him say... I'm not going to make him say it. It was, was every time. It was fun just to make him do it once no, at I the know, beginning. I know, I know, I totally get No, I think it's a great joke, and I think I think it's it's really good. But, like, yeah. I will make characters fully say Marshall Jefferson Stockley. <laughs> I like that. That's a, that'll be a fun detail. Because <laughs> then it's a choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <sighs> So, Marshall Stockley, you're upstairs uh, in one of the rooms. Is the door even closed? Um, oh, sure. He likes his privacy. Okay. So, these doors are mostly there for visual privacy. It's difficult in buildings of this old wooden construction for it to, like, fully seal and block sound perfectly. You hear a bit of a commotion downstairs uh, in the bar area. Of course, the three of you are present when this happens, rushing in through the, the double saloon doors at the front. Uh heavily breathing, out of breath, uh, is Deputy Wainwright, uh, who, of course, works under you, Marshal. And uh, he exclaims to the room, Oh, oh, they, oh they, they got him. Where's the Marshal? Deputy, is that you? I hear John downstairs. Uh, y- 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 yeah, yes, yes, sir. All right, let me put my clothes on and I'll see what you're hollering about. Yeah, you stand up out of the tub, the water dripping off your body. The attendant hands you a towel uh, that you begin to you know, shimmy in. He does not put all of his clothes back on. <laughs> <laughs> How dressed does the, the marshal get? What He'll he put on his pants. Puts on his pants? All right, cool. Put pants, like a towel over his shoulders. Pants and suspenders? No, just pants. Just pants? All right, all right. Long underalls, like the the red ones we always see in all the cartoons. Are the, <laughs> are those involved in any way? No, they're like a they're like a light tan leather chaps, but not like <laughs> assless chaps. <laughs> no, chaps was the style back okay. then. Yeah. <laughs> 
but not like assless chaps. Okay, okay. Chill out. Just regular chaps. Regular chaps. Chill out. Regular chap. Pants, regular chaps. Yeah. Not assless. Not the assless of Ferrari. Not the assless ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, those he keeps in a trunk back home. <laughs> Ass full. Ass full Ass chaps. Ass full chaps. There we go. Uh, I found the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Ass full chaps. Uh, is that my Rascal Flats cover band? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. So, Marshall, you put on just enough clothes, head down the stairs. Um, I think the other members of the vigilance committee, uh, you were already there at the bar collected, so you just waited for the marshal to come in. Uh, I think Deputy Wainwright, out of breath, starts to recover. Uh, Angel, do you pour the deputy a drink? No, she uh, looks at him and says, are you going to sit down or not? As she takes her knife back up and starts sharpening her knife again. Like, catch your breath. She's basically talking him down about professionalism. He'll he'll pull up a seat at the bar and just sits there, regains his composure. Marshall, you come down the stairs and... I'd like to paint the picture. We have the assful chaps. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to... I'm going to go ahead and make sure that his empty shoulder holster is on him, too. And a Stetson hat. And that's all that he's wearing. <laughs> so <laughs> you left the hat on. <laughs> I left the hat on. Uh, is this where we now realize that the entire time you were in the bath, you also had the hat on? <laughs> it didn't seem out of no. place. <laughs> no, but the shoulder holster was on. The oh, whole time. there we go. Patrick. He only he he only takes it off for one thing, and it ain't for bathing. <laughs> and it ain't for bathing. I think uh, the marshal is still at the top of the stairs, mm-hmm. and uh, with an obvious like annoyed look on his face, gonna go. All right, deputy. What was so damn important that you thought it necessary to interrupt my pleasant bathing this morning? You continue down the stairs. Um, Deputy Wainwright has recovered his breath, but he does still look pale and like a little bit listless. Like his eyes are struggling to to stay in any one part of the room. He tries to lock eyes with you, Marshall, but he seems preoccupied. Look at me when you got something to say, boy. We talked about this. Confidence, confidence. <laughs> and he takes a deep breath. <sighs> well, as I, uh, I I started to say earlier, Marshal. So, you, let me let me start from the beginning. You, of course, had me walking, doing the rounds of uh, a town last night af- after. Uh, this being the wounded knight and all. And as I was there, uh, just outside of the, the foothills road, I saw a supply wagon rumbling up the drive there. And and it was it was doing just fine. It, it seemed like a normal enough uh, occurrence. I didn't uh, pay it any particular mind. And, and then just as it it passed the, the, the crossing of the roads there, it, it veered uh, off the road. It rolled down the hillside, uh, I regret to say it did kill both of the drivers, uh, Clive Barnes uh, and uh, and uh, Jose Morena, and all four of the horses pull- pulling it. They, they all were killed in the crash. 
Did you uh, say Clive Barnes? Yes, it's Clive Barnes, Jose Morena. All four horses. Do you want to know the horses' names? Yes, please. Uh, the horses' names <laughs> were Prancer and Vixen. Comet and Cupid. Oh, no. Prancer, Vixen. Comet and Cupid. Comet. All four horses died. And Cupid. Nah, David, you you started it. Commit, man. That's the four horses. Those are those are the four horses of the four horsemen. Uh, Laura Lai can confirm for me. What what breed? <laughs> uh, they were all they were all silverback, like the gorillas. It's not a horse breed. Are you telling me that they're gorilla horses? No, they're just horses. I'm saying we're spending too long on this bet. Um, <laughs> anyway, gorilla horses like G U E R I. There's. Secret undercover horses <laughs> hiding in the trees. If they're the four spread. horses of the apocalypse. They better uh, be well, gorilla they horses. They certainly better not be the four horses of the apocalypse because they are all dead at the bottom of a ditch. So they're all mine then. Well, they always were, right? Horses are horses are just one step away from death at all times. <laughs> you know, that's not even really that wrong. <laughs> it's not. Um, <laughs> Poor things. So. The deputy describes the how the the cart the supply wagon veered and went off the road very suddenly. Like again, he he hadn't even been paying it any mind. It had just been rumbling along perfectly safely. Nothing strange or anything that he saw until afterwards. After the wagon had veered off the road, he he continues. I I, I crossed the road quickly to where where the accident had had occurred. I I went down after. After them, that's uh, when I saw the pile up of the horses and the men, all, all of them deceased. I started to grab hold of Clive's shoulders and try to hoist him back onto the road so we could collect the bodies. I left the horses there, and as I made it back up to the roadway, I, I saw standing there at that crossroads, there, there was this woman. His eyes finally like lock and center. He's just, he's not staring at any of you in specific. He's just looking off into the distance, his eyes drilling a hole through the wall in front of him. There, there was this woman sta- standing there. She was dressed in white. I, I called out to her, asked if she saw anything. And, she simply turned away, uh, started walking down the road there, up towards the old Carson homestead. As in Johnny? As in Johnny Carson, yeah. I, I don't remember how, how long I stood there, just watching her walk away it was some time though I I left from there headed back into town I I was walking I suppose but the sun was coming up and the cool morning air was on my face when I came to and that's why I, I, I rushed here to Talk, talk to you, Marshal. I something I I feel like bewitched me. Now, deputy, 
are you are you having your troubles again where you're hitting the bottle a bit too much is it is it is it possible that you went on another one of your drunken walks and just feel like you saw this I'm going to hold off on answering that question. Uh, first, I need to ask you all, um, because all threats come with a, a little establishing question for the beginning of it. And this one I must direct to whoever of you has the highest sensitivity. Who has the highest sensitivity? I have two. You have plus two. So here's my question for you, Lorelai. Mm-hmm. There's a particular detail in the deputy's story that confirms that the lady in white is a ghost. What is it? I will integrate that into his response to the marshal here. Give me the details that we already have. Uh, just that he saw her standing there and then she walked away and he was like, he zoned out because of it. He was like very, uh, very confused. Okay. I'm stuck on the loss of time thing. And I keep like thinking of this as like more of a reading comprehension question, which is obviously it's not. <laughs> Um, I mean, it can be if you want to be. If you just want to lean on that variable, we can always. Yeah, you know what? I really like the idea of the the being out of time element being kind of the thing that that points to ghosts. Okay. So, so then what I will say in response to you, the marshal, um, Hill, Deputy Wainwright, will. Uh, no, sir. I. You instructed me. That with the commencement of the wounded knight, that I was not to do three things. Thing the first, consume any alcohol under any means, any time close to bedtime. Only in the mornings when I'm feeling a little bit squeamish. Are you feeling squeamish now, boy? Uh, I will admit that after the evening I I have had, a, a strong drink would be preferable, but... Angel, would you be a dear and pour our dear deputy here a drink and put it on my tab? For you, Marshal? Absolutely. (laughs) She waves over to the bartender to fill the order. Yeah. They they get to working on that drink. Uh, Probably just a a stiff something in a small glass, right? He's a uh, a thing thing the second. Uh, I am to not, under any means, uh, interrupt your bath time. And I I know that... You failed. (laughs) I know it is a time for you to relax after the... The difficulties of the evening, but th- thing the third, notify you immediately after any strange, potentially ghostly behavior. But only if I'm not enjoying my baths. Oh, that's right. There was rule the fourth, which trumps rule the third. <laughs> I'm while I'm very sorry, Marshal, for in- interrupting your special time. I didn't even realize until I walked through those double doors what time it was, what day it was. I feel like a small eternity could have passed in the last several hours and I would be none the wiser. And that, that distant stare comes back again from him. Lorelai's gonna come sit from where she was at the very end of the bar, over closer to the deputy and the marshal. Jay, you come and sit closer, and I think he maybe 
not even like losing focus of where he's staring in the distance. I think he like kind of instinctively takes like a half step back away from you. Um, at, at some point during this re- retelling of this tale, he stood up from the stool he was sitting on and explained the situation. He's going to take a half step away from Lorelai or from the marshal? From Lorelai. From Lorelai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does he still have the thousand yard stare going on? I think I think he's like starting to come to to the situation. He looks back over at, at you, Marshall, but then also the rest of the Vigilance Committee is gathered here. So I think he looks does look at each of you in turn and says, I didn't recognize the the woman that I I saw. Um uh, perhaps she was part of the unpleasantness of the evening. Uh, there, there are also the the bodies and the horses to tend to, Marshal. We should probably get on that. Yes, if you could, Deputy, would you please notify the kin of of Clive and of Paul Jose, sir? Oh, I, I, I'll get right on that, uh, uh, Marshal. I'll... Can we do a move? Yeah. What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, I, I would like to use Angel's move. Have you met my associate? We'll read that off real quick and we'll integrate that in the fiction. You have connections from your old life. When you put out a word that you need help from an old connection, select one of them from the list below and roll with presence. Who, who are you thinking of uh, trying to look for? So uh, it's a it's a custom one, uh, yeah. an an old art contact. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Flarkity. Melissa Flarkity, hell yeah! <laughs> I, I'm just I, I'm trying to understand how does this work in what, uh, what is the she wants to have the deputy sit down with Melissa. Flarkity and describe oh, the woman and do a painting of okay nice. or a drawing. Oh, I like that. Okay, have you seen this woman? We just invented forensic uh, uh, sketch drawing. Hell yeah! Yeah, I think you you stepped back then from where you were at the the front of the bar, and as the bartender is making the drink for the deputy, uh, you like instruct them to to go and find Melissa for you. Um, yeah, give me that roll uh, with presence, please. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> uh, now I get to be terrified because I'm rolling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the nature of the game, baby. Okay, so uh, it my presence is two. So yep. does that mean I'm rolling two oh. dice? Uh, so you're going to always... Uh, this follows normal Powered by the Apocalypse uh, behaviors. Uh-huh. You're going to roll, unless you have advantage, which I don't think you have in this circumstance, unless you want to use an item for it or something. Um, which potentially you could. You could, like, maybe offer Melissa a sip of your fine wine or something um, if you want to boost the roll. Or you could just roll it straight. It would be two die six. You're going to roll, and you want a sum of seven or higher. Seven to nine is a mixed success. Ten plus is a full success. And uh, six minus is a miss. So on this, it actually states the rules. On a miss, word gets back to me that they're dead from violence, disease, or worse. Cross them off the list. Oh, so uh, I guess they meant for me to start at the top, which is... That's fine. On a 10 plus, they show up right away and do as you wish. Any roles associated with actions they help you with are taken at advantage. 
Nice. On a seven to nine, as above, uh, but they take a while to show up or they want Mm. something in exchange for their help. Keeper's choice. So then I ask, before you go into the roll, do you want to use an item to boost it to give yourself advantage? Or do you want to just roll it and see what happens? Uh, Yes, I want to use a personal quarters item. Yeah, Uh, which one? She's going to offer Melissa one of the books on her bookshelf. Mm. An old art book that Melissa's been looking for. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Angel will replace it with something else, but uh, per the rules, but... But you have that as a lure, as a lure to invite Melissa there. Exactly. Okay, cool. I like that. Okay, then what you're going to do is you're going to roll three die six, and you're going to take the higher of the two and then add those together and add your modifier to that. Okay. Yep. I was wondering how the presence comes into play. Yeah. I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) First roll. That is 11. 11. So very nice. Very fast. Just what you want. Um, I think what happens then is you whisper to the barkeep to go and fetch Melissa. I think Melissa is staying with you right now. Not like in your quarters or anything necessarily. It could be, though. Um, but I think that like she's staying here in town at your establishment currently. So I think the barkeep, you say this to him, he finishes up the drink for the deputy, and then he just heads upstairs to go and grab her. Uh, and so she'll she'll join right after we finish the scene um, here to here to provide this service for you. Hell um, yeah. So, yeah, sweet. I love that. So the deputy has explained the situation. That is all of the details for what you get at the start of the threat. The, the name of this threat is the lady in white. Uh, that is our opening threat for this game. Uh, and the question and or opportunity that you have uh, there's only the one uh, question available to you. The complexity is six, so you'll want around that or higher in order to to get a better roll on it. But the question is, uh, how can we get the lady in white to pass on to the next world? Uh, and the resolution to that is then during the nighttime, you would be able to resolve the threat by performing a quieting ritual. So that is the the goalpost essentially for this threat. And that is the question you were trying to answer. So we have Angel Flynn's friend, Melissa who's going to be headed downstairs in a minute to take the deputy aside and try to get uh, a picture together for... Actually, let's just do that first, and then we'll sort of we'll, we'll move out from that. I think then, right as he finishes, you send your barkeep upstairs, you slide the drink to him, uh, Angel, and he takes he takes a look at it, looks at the marshal for okay. You, it is on your tab, so presuming it's it's acceptable, but you nod to him, and he takes a big, long drink from this. He's had a hell of a night in the morning. And as he's finishing the drink, I think maybe his pallor is starting to return to normal. Melissa is coming downstairs with your barkeep. Uh, well, first, before Melissa gets there. Yeah, yeah. So, Marshall, uh, how about another for your wayward deputy? Another for the deputy? He, yeah, he, he got back some of his pallor. Perhaps, uh, with one more, he might uh, return to his usual self, pasty self. <laughs> I'll tell you this, Miss Angel. How does this sound for you? 
I'm going to let the deputy get back to his deputy duties, and you can go ahead and pull me a drink. How about that? That sounds mighty nice. You you get to pouring that. Uh, Melissa, Melissa arrives at the bottom of the stairs, and we don't have to do all this in character, but you explain the situation. Like, you're, Melissa's your friend. You're going to have her draw what the deputy saw that night. And... I think Melissa pulls the deputy off to the side. There's like a table that's still open in the bar and he starts explaining things to her and she has a small canvas out that she's working on to portray what he saw. Um, Let's actually take that then. Gwen, uh, could you, Angel, roll for me? This is another move that we've we've activated here. Uh, Could you roll the information move for me? Since you're, you've brought your friend in to help for this, uh, I'm going to just give you this at, at advantage. I think that makes sense narratively. Roll me the information move. This would be with, I think, reason. Um, you're approaching this from a logical perspective as you try to do this. Terrifying moment. And the information move is how you get clues. Ugh, uh, that's a nine. It's a nine. Okay. Well, on a seven to nine, there's a complication, either with a clue or with uh, something you encounter while searching. I think in this case, it'll probably be be with the clue or with the situation. Um, but we'll come back to what that is. First, I want to go around then. You're pouring the marshal another drink. Your friend is working on this painting. It'll take a little while with the deputy. Brother Gideon, we haven't heard much from you yet. What does Brother Gideon thinking after seeing all this? What's brother gideon interested in doing today uh yeah you know i he's a he's a pastor (laughs) so uh if someone needs some religious guidance he'll be there for that uh he does have a keen interest in seeing what the artist produces though but otherwise he's a very sit back relax and see what pops out okay uh, so there are some places based on the story you've heard that you could go and check out if you're interested. Um, there is the Foothills Road where the accident occurred. Um, there's the wreckage of the wagon that's still been left there. We're in the day phase. What are you thinking about wanting to do, right? Like, what are you thinking after uh, hearing all this? Oh. So, like, you could go Foothills. You could go to the wagon wreckage. You could go to the Carson homestead where the the... Lady in White seemed to be going. Um, there's a couple of other stuff that can stem from that. Um, but also, like, if there's something else you are interested in doing in town or something else you think that might help you here, you're welcome to consider it. is going to grab some salt and head out to the uh, the Carson homestead. Oh, okay. So that's At least that's what I want to do. Well, this is the daytime, so pretty much what you'd like to do is what you get to do. Uh, sorry, I must have missed it. How do we know that this ghost is associated with someplace in specific? Is it just where um, the uh, is it just where the wagon was headed? So the wagon was headed somewhere else, but uh, the deputy saw the ghost heading back along the road towards the Carson homestead, which is uh, outside of town. All right, yeah, that's that definitely seemed like the first place to go after the after the bar. Okay, so you're gonna head with Lorelai to the Carson homestead. Yeah. Okay. Uh. So 
Lorelai is here to analyze this painting with her friend for, for the start of the day, at least. Marshall, what are you doing? Are you also hanging out with the deputy to try to get more information? Are you going somewhere else? I'll take the deputy and we'll go investigate the crash site. Okay. Let's go back real quick. I think that you said that Lorelai was going to stay here to uh, to analyze the painting. Did I say Lorelai? You did. I meant when you Angel. Met. I meant Angel. When I you met Angel. Angel. <laughs> yeah, it, Angel wants to wants to try to track down this lady's identity. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you, you want to take the painting and see if that's recognizable in some fashion. Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay, then let's uh, let's resolve the painting then first, and then we'll move into some of the other stuff. Angel, Lorelai, and Brother Gideon have departed to go to the Carson homestead. The marshal, uh, so you wait around for the deputy, you want to have him join you to go to the crash site? Or do you head out on your own? It's going to be a minute while he's working on helping uh, make this painting of what he saw. Painting takes time. I'll wait around. I got to put my clothes back on anyway. Fair. Marshall goes upstairs to get dressed. <laughs> so, Angel, you're still downstairs uh, when they finish this, uh, when Melissa finishes the painting. It's a small one. Like It's not like a life-size portrait or something. So it just takes, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Uh, it's not an incredibly detailed drawing, but it is haunting in a way. It portrays the dark fairly desolate landscape that is present once you get outside of town. There's there's not much for miles, right? This is the foothills. The hills are starting to rise here. You can see I think uh, in the back of the, the picture from how she's framed it, you can see the wreckage of the cart there beyond this woman who's in the foreground. Her gown is all white and ethereal. Uh, her features are emotionless as she stares almost like through you, through the painting. The white of her gown is like a young girl's Sunday dress or bed linens drying in the sun. It's like whiter than white. It, it almost radiates the essence of that. And the clue that you get as you feel just like a little bit of coldness um, prickling at the back of your neck, you see... At first, you're absorbed by the picture of the woman, and you do now have like a depiction of what she looks like. You would be able to recognize her if you see any other documents or images or, or what have you of her. What you see, there is a fog in the scene, and where it's placed, where it's drifted in from, you would expect to be emanating from the river. They're opposite the foothills. That's what you're where you're used to seeing that happen in El Paso. But it's not coming from there there's this fog that how it's placed in the scene it's kind of central to where the accident itself happened off by the foothills which is a very unnatural placement for that fog to be so the clue that you have uh, that you can add to your list is fog on the foothills road but not from the river so it's an extra detail a little clue you get Um, and I think the complication is you're really taken with this painting. There's something about it that, like, speaks to you. Melissa's a skilled artist. Of course, you know that about her. But there's something special about this one. And I'm going to give you the condition, need to see for yourself. 
Um, I think you you need to see the woman in white now. Like that's that's a desire that's been placed into you by seeing this painting. Okay, I was originally planning on using one of the masks, but I think that's a really cool condition. So I am <laughs> totally keeping it. Take it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's actually one of the reasons why in the game you're supposed to describe what happens first so then people can be like, you know what? I kind of want to go with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, cool. Take it. Uh, and from there then, uh, Marshall, you head back downstairs. You collect the deputy now that he's finished with this and the two of you head off to the crash site. Um, Angel, what's your next step? I want to I wanna figure out where you're headed before I move out of this scene. She'll, I think she'll start with, would there be like a city hall that would have like records of things that happen? Or would that be like the marshal's, or sorry, uh, yeah, the marshal's uh, office? Basically, if it's a ghost, a woman ghost, she figures something happened. So she'd want to look at records with pictures. Records with pictures? That's going to be uncommon. A, a picture, a photograph is a rare thing. Not not impossible, but it is a rare thing. But you would be able to... Uh, you'd probably be able to find legal records at City Hall. Uh, if you are looking for maybe catching a photograph of something, there is newspaper. Or, dis- or a description. So... Yeah. Because I think the papers in City Hall would have at least descriptions of people, right? Like... It would depend on the event, right? Well, how it made it into the legal record. I think City Hall is more helpful to you if you want, like, legal records. Uh, if you're looking for uh, records of accounts of things that have happened, then you probably want to go through newspaper stuff, which is would also probably be available to you from like a library, maybe. Or I was I was just commending myself on resisting yeah. all the supernatural references for this lady in white. <laughs> uh, however, because <laughs> yeah. it was also their first episode. Uh, oh, was it? Yeah, That's funny. Uh, however, I, I've never watched Supernatural. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, the very first episode was Lady in White. Uh, uh-huh. But I will, uh, in, inspired by that, Angel will go to the newspaper because if this person's dead and haunting, something must have happened significant enough to end up in the paper. So, yeah. And I, I say library, I don't know if there would be a library, but there would be like whoever publishes this newspaper, like I'm sure you can find old issues. I gave Angel a library. Well, yeah, uh, but like a small collection of books, yeah. right? Well, yeah, it's like a little library. A little library. We're, we're talking like we want, you know, resource library levels of newspaper clippings and stuff. In this case, that would probably be, probably be with the place that prints the newspapers, right? I also think possibly uh, like a church in town might have some records like that. Potentially. Ooh, also, I'm actually I'm reading through my side character options that are fun. Um, how, you know what? I think there's the the local general store that you can buy newspapers there. Um, and I think you know that if the the local general store, you'd probably be able to find old version like old copies of newspapers that they've held on to uh, and collected over time. So let, let's do that as a, okay. as a location because then I get to introduce a, that's a, a really good a, idea a set character. Okay, cool. So then. We'll come back then to uh, Angel as she investigates that. Uh, let's step over. Let's check out with Brother Gideon and Lorelai. Um, the Carson homestead is at the edge 
of town. Uh, just a curiosity, how do you all get there? Um, do you have in your possession a horse or a coach of any kind? Or How far away is it? It's outside of town. So it would be, you know, like a up to a half day's probably not quite a full half day but it is a walk if you're walking oh well then we, yeah we definitely need to have a horse let us have a horse so you say it and so it shall be uh I did need. I think uh it's gotta be a wagon yeah yeah or what, like, what about like a mule drawn cart that'll work kinda like that I think I think it is the best idea for me to sit on a piece of wood Yes, and not a that is creature. not that is <laughs> not a thin piece of of leather between me and a living creature. Yes, reason. fair enough. A thin a thin piece of some other kind of skin. Yes, but between me <laughs> and living skin. Yes. Uh, so so Lorelai, uh, you and Gideon, brother Gideon, uh, take a oh a mule drawn cart. Um, they're out of the center of town. Uh, where uh, Angel's Bar is, where the Golden Sun Cup is. I have a suggestion. Yeah? It may not be something we have to, like, canonize right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that this mule-drawn cart should belong to the woman that Gideon, Gideon. stays with. <laughs> I was going to say it, uh, the church probably has it, and if the church has it, well, then, hey, maybe kindly lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, here, yep. just use, use our old nag. And the, uh, mm-hmm. this hay hauling cart. I'll get you out there in no time. Might not be comfortable. Yeah, and she has a blissful smile on her face as she she gives you this, and the two of you head that way. It's on wagon. It's not quite as long. Uh, it's you know more a little over an hour uh, to get out to the Carson homestead. Uh, but as you arrive, the Carson homestead is not an active one. As you're approaching from the drive, and you're aware of this before arriving, um, the roof and main timbers of the house have collapsed, um, like barring entry to it without, you know, a lot of effort. There are weeds and small brush that have grown up around the ruined farmhouse, and there are rusty farm implements, shovels, axes, rakes, uh, scattered here and there around the homestead. Um, It's abandoned at this point. Um, so I have a paint the scene question for the two of you. There are plenty of stories that the Carson family was plagued by misfortune. What do you see that hints at this troubled past? Uh, yeah, for a hot second, I thought you said, so what are the signs that it has passed? Everything's hunky dory. That mm-hmm. this is not that kind of game. No. Mm-hmm. A, uh, a fairly large family graveyard. Oof. Oof. That's the kind of thing I was going to look for anyways. Oh, actually, in that, on a whim, on a whim, with the extra H's, uh, he's going to see if he couldn't get, like, some uh, wax paper and charcoal for, for getting rubbings of things that might be Ooh, carved. good idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you have that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally reasonable. So what do, you, what do you see, Gideon, that's hints of a troubled past? Let's see. From the outside? Yes. Trying to think of common places for religious iconography that would be visible from the outside. I mean, <laughs> along those lines, there could just be like religious iconography everywhere. Like, you know what? That's uh, I do like that. I think the fence posts each have their own. Uh, there's just a bunch of crosses, mm-hmm. many of which, if not most of which, have 
fallen, broken, or turned upside down. Mm. They just they're just kind of adorning everything. It's on on the fence posts. You can see a nice ornate one that is split right in two and fallen uh, apart uh, on their front in front of their front door, and all that kind of thing. On the rotting on the rotting axe handles in the yard, mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay, I love that. Very cool. I like that a lot. So you arrive at the Carson homestead. It is abandoned. There are no Carsons here anymore. Um, what do you do? What's what? Where do you all head as you're looking into this? Brother Gideon is going to check out the graveyard. That was his first thought. If this is, in fact, a spook, we need to find out whence came is it. That's right. I'm pronoun- uh, this is a pronounce every H as hard as you can day. <laughs> after after the game, I'm going to have some, some pumpkin pie with a little bit of cool whip. <laughs> uh, can we get into the house or like the... The, the house the is essentially barred from entry from any normal kind of entry because of the collapsed timbers. I will say there is a small barn behind the old farmhouse. That'll work. That appears to be more accessible. That'll work for what I'm thinking. Okay. So repeat for me really quick uh, where where you're going to head over to, uh, Brother Gideon. Uh, Brother Gideon's heading to the graveyard, looking through graveyard. the graves, yeah. through the markings, looking for any particularly ornate uh, graves. Also, since it's a lady in white, he's naturally going to presume he can safely ignore most of the menfolk graves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, give me a... This is definitely a investigation. So this is this definitely uh, feels the, like an information move. Yeah. Yes, information move uh, with reason, or you can make an argument for uh, sensitivity if you're tapping into your spiritual side with this. Yeah, I think he, I think he definitely will do that because this is all about spooks, and he doubts whether he can, but he is gonna try and feel his way through it more than look his way through it. Okay. I love that. That is going to be a six, so that's not going to hit. Uh, that's with your sensitivity? That is with the sensitivity, yes. Okay. I'll answer that, Miss, here in a second. Um, Lorelai, do you head straight to the bar now back? Uh, after seeing that it would be, it would take a lot of work to get inside yeah. the house itself, she looks around, sees the barn, heads out there. Okay. So... I think positionally, um, the original house is what faces the road. It's a little bit withdrawn from it still. And of course, there's plenty of space for all those rusty farm emblems everywhere and the tattered remnants of what's fallen off the house. You can see the barn behind it. It's mm, slightly obscured. Uh, Only part of it sticks out from the roadway. Um, And the family graveyard is just a little bit removed from that. It's fairly close to the barn itself. Um, it's larger than you would expect for a smaller homestead like this. And you go to the front of the house to sort of like poke around, see if there's a way in there first. And there are, of course, broken windows. But even then, like looking into those rooms, like they've collapsed in on themselves. It doesn't seem like a place to really make your way particularly. Uh, And so you continue around the back of the house to go and take a look at the barn instead. And as you're circling around the building, you see the back of someone, a smaller, more portly frame, um, heading 
towards where Brother Gideon is in the graveyard. They seem to be coming from the barn area. It's a woman, and she's holding up a shovel raised above her shoulder uh, as she's heading towards Brother Gideon. His back is to her like she is going to strike. Hello, it's your keeper, David. For those of you joining us for the first time, thank you and welcome. I hope you're enjoying our foray into the between ghosts of El Paso. For those of you rejoining us after our winter hiatus, thank you for your patience and welcome back. I know we were gone a little bit longer than we originally thought, but I'm so excited to share this story in particular with you now. My eternal gratitude to Emma, Pat, Gwen, and Dave for contributing their time and talents to this arc, and for just always being so much fun to play with. A new and very special shout out to Wesley Bryan, who helped with the scoring and sound effects this arc. He's come on board to help me manage the editing load, a fact which I am very grateful for. You'll probably hear some more from him in future episodes. If you're looking for more The Between content while you're waiting on our next episode to drop, you should take a look at Jason Cordova's YouTube series, The Between Shadow Society. I've had the distinct pleasure of playing The Between with Jason before, and it should surprise no one that there isn't really a better way to learn the game than by watching the author run it. It's a wonderfully casted, dark trip into the base setting of the game, an eerie and unctuously monstrous Victorian London. Be sure to check it out via the links in our show notes. And I'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Bye for now.